What's up, y'all? My name is Brian Buck, and you're listening to another episode of Oak Performance Radio. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Oak Performance Radio. I'm your host, Adam Lane. If you're new to the show, our goal here is to create some content, some fantastic content for athletes, parents, and coaches. We tell stories, have laughs, and go into everything that is the end game of athletic performance, helping athletes achieve their optimal performance and be the best they can possibly be. Enjoy the show. Hey, Oak Performance Radio listeners. This episode is brought to you by Power Athlete, the world's premier resource for training athletes, educating coaches, and nutrition. Our goal is to provide world-class solutions for real-world athletes and coaches. We are fortunate to work with thousands of athletes around the globe, and we have taken them to the highest levels of performance. If you're working with athletes or trying to improve yourself with a performance goal, come check us out at powerathletehq.com. And if you want some dope merch, we have an amazing collection of black shirts with white skulls. Use the code AMAZING10 for 10% off your initial purchase. If you need anything performance-related, like I said, come check us out at powerathletehq.com. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Oak Performance Radio. I'm your host, Adam Lane. With me today, from Dallas, Texas, Mr. Brian Buck. Thanks for having me on here, Adam. Brian, thanks for joining us on this early Tuesday morning. Yeah, we both got some sunshine peeking yeah. through the windows, <laughs> even you in Illinois. So yeah. hey, it's a good day today. Look at that. It's only 80 degrees in Texas in January. <laughs> we'll take that too yeah it's not yeah. a deal right there yeah well good to see you man it's been a minute yeah this is and fun we, and we were just chatting i think that was 2018 the first time i came out to your facility oh. and we got to know each other yeah which is a whole four years ago seems like yesterday almost five years now holy cow whoa not a clue what <laughs> what we were doing but here we here we are and and it's fantastic. You've moved multiple yeah. times since then. And what's what's new? What's new? Yeah, <laughs> this is actually so I've been here since April 21. So this is the longest I've lived in one place, maybe, maybe since high school, to be honest, um, really? which is kind of it's kind of sad when I say it like that. But it has been. Uh, well, it's a lot of uh, a lot of good things that have happened in my life that have given me the the wild uh, the wild riding experience that I've had in pro sports and and traveling all the time and going to different places. But at some point, you're kind of like, hey, when are we gonna just kind of chill somewhere and and unpack our bags for a bit? So I'm trying to enjoy that a little bit. But it's been good out here in Dallas. There we go. There we go. So yeah. Brian, for the and again, two a two time guest now. I mean, you've you've made this list of you know elite elite podcast guests. Um, cause we don't have the bad podcast guests on a second time. So this is how, you know, you've made it in life. <laughs> or are you just trying to get me on this one, uh, with, with something else? Cause I know you a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, I appreciate you having me back on. Always good to chat with you. It's always fun to, to wrap with you back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So Brian, for the, the, the tens of people that listen to the show, um, who might not know who you are and, and why you're such a big deal, tell them who you are and, and why you're such a big deal. So my name is Brian Buck, and I'm the director of sports at Sparta Science. Uh, I've been here just over five years now. Um, before coming here to Sparta, um, I was a former minor league baseball player who chased that dream for a while with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, after that, I went back and got my degree in kinesiology at Arizona State and quickly got back into strength conditioning, which was a passion of mine because my entire sports career was limited because of injuries and I didn't know how to train and I was constantly dealing with things. So it was really a passion of mine when I went back to school to kind of learn 
learned some proper ways to do things. And it kind of blew my mind actually when I got back and got my degree. And it wasn't so much the classroom stuff. It was really an internship that I had um, my last year at Arizona State where I got to work under a guy named Keith Wilson um, who trained a bunch of pro athletes. And he kind of showed me the way and and was always quizzing me and and really tested my mind and my understanding of you know biomechanics and anatomy and physiology quite a bit and that's really where I became obsessed with it was during that time of that internship and uh when I was done with that internship I really had nothing lined up and in fact after playing baseball I really didn't even want to get back into the game I think I was a little bit uh a little bit beat up from that experience um of my own and so um, when I was done with that internship, they basically asked if I wanted an interview with the Anaheim Angels at that time, now the LA Angels. And I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And so we set it up and sure enough, I, I, I got hired there. And so that kind of started my career in strength and conditioning, um, as an intern in baseball, um, and then ended up getting a position with Colorado Rockies, um, where I was a strength and conditioning coach from, um, basically double A, triple A and the big league level. Um, and then I got a position with them where I was overseeing the whole organization in terms of the human performance and the programming and the training and the rehab and all the above. Um, and so that was a unique experience in itself of really trying to manage, you know, 200 plus athletes um, at different levels and their of their career and where they were at physically. And, um, you know, trying to manage all that from a distance a lot of times. Um, and uh, and keep track of it all. So that was a what was a fun experience. I ended up leaving there, and I ended up um, going over to work for Scott Boris, the baseball agent, um, and training his clientele exclusively in Southern California, um, which was kind of my um, way of still being heavily involved in the game without being in the trenches. Um, I, I think I I got a little bit burnt out on the baseball side with being there, you know, 11 hour days, 12 hour days, you know, six, seven days of the week and, and ended up missing a couple friends, weddings and whatnot. So I ended up getting out and that's, that might be a weak excuse to a lot of folks, but to me, it was uh, just trying to mix in a little bit better quality of life. And so I ended up doing that with Scott Boris. Um, and then, um, you know, after being, you know, about a year with Scott Boris, um, I was still in contact with my now boss and CEO of Sparta Science, Phil Wagner, um, somebody that was a mentor of mine um, during my time with the Rockies. He was always um, talking shop with me on the data that we were collecting and how it can be used and what I could be seeing from different types of training and, and whatnot. And so, um, so I was still very much in contact with him and, and he ended up making a good case for me to come over and work in his shop in, in Northern California. So the moving, the moving trucks were uh, uh, in gear again. Uh, it was hard to leave Laguna where I was, but uh, yeah, I got up to San Francisco and, and have been there and, uh, and I've been at Sparta Science since just in a few different roles. Obviously, when I first started connecting with you, I was more on the um, customer success side of working directly with our customers. Um, and then the last few years have been more of the director of sports side. So working with current customers, but also talking with folks on the prospective side and, and where they can add more value to their current situations and, and help out ultimately. So really, it's just been a fun job to get to interact with folks like yourself and 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 folks, you know, at at colleges and universities and, and pro level on, on what they're doing and, and what they could be doing a little bit better or where they could be kind of getting a little bit more out of their athlete groups. So it's been a lot, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. So you're telling me coaching, coaching professional athletes full-time 
<clears throat> is quite the grind and not not always ideal for your your personal time and you know the 30 minutes of <laughs> free time that you have during the day well yeah it's, it's yeah crazy when you say it like that but I, what i found was even on my off days i was in there training at the facility like what are you doing like just enjoy life outside of there and um I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to say it was like an obsession, although it was, but just I think always sometimes you got to, you know, kind of create a little bit more of a lifestyle outside of the X's and O's of what you're always doing, I think, for the mental health side. But mental health has been more of a, a subject recently that's that's a little bit easier to talk about. But in, uh, you know, five, 10 years ago, maybe not as easy as a conversation and maybe not as something you even thought of until you got kind of outside of it. So uh yeah, just try to improve a couple of things to improve the overall quality of life and family and friends and all that stuff. There we go. Buck, when it comes to, um, it, we work with quite a few baseball guys. We have two different baseball clubs in our, in our facility. Um, I love baseball guys. Sometimes they don't want to lift weights. Um, it's not, they, they just, they want to play baseball. They love playing baseball. It's a great game, phenomenal game. Um, but sometimes the, the weightlifting piece to, doesn't come in. Now, obviously, we know, and it's just kind of common sense that hey, if you if you do some of these things, you know, everything will probably be better. Um, we had Eric Cressy on the podcast, you know, a, a couple months back, and he he's absolutely phenomenal with with this whole thing. W with your professional experience, and then obviously with with Sparta and whatnot, because um, I think that's that, that's a big thing. That's it's not like these baseball players are are powerlifters; they're not CrossFitters they need to throw a ball really, really well. There, it's a very unique skill set. And, and really to, to couple over to, you know, with the volleyball kids that we coach, very rotational sport um, where, you know, you see specific injury stuff and, and whatnot. Um, rear its ugly head is in specific ways, I think differently than other sports because it's so, so rotational. What, what, what nuggets, if I'm a kid listening to the show, if I'm a parent listening to the show, um, in, in the way of making sure that I stay healthy and then making sure I just, I maximize, you know, all the gifts God gave me here. What, what, what do, what do you see or what have you seen through, through coaching all these, you know, these athletes, these high, high level athletes that are at the top of their game. What, what allowed them to, to stay there and, and keep doing it day out? Cause it's a grind. It's a, it's a massive grind, not only for the strength and conditioning coach, but then also obviously for the player. Yeah, no, you bring up a good point, and, and, and Cressy is a brilliant mind, and I've loved soaking up his work for years. Um, I think keep the goal the goal. I mean, you're there to play baseball, and I was easily one of these people or, you know, one of those folks that, like, in my career, in the offseason, I just, I wanted to get big, thinking that that would transfer, and it's easy for a young kid to think that, um, that just doesn't know any better or have the resources around them, but um you know, there was guys like Ruben Sierra. I don't, I don't know if you remember that name, but I'm going way <laughs> yes, back. Completely. There's, yeah, yeah. There, I mean, I think even um, maybe even Bagwell has mentioned this, that there there has been some detriments done to their career because of their time in the weight room. So you can misuse the tools that you have. And I don't want to and that shouldn't scare people. Uh, and I don't want it to um, because access to a weight room is, is something that could put you in the Hall of Fame. But um there definitely are some things that you can 
you can do too much of or use incorrectly. And, and I did it to myself, um, training more like a bodybuilder than uh, someone that wanted to express power or improve rate of performance uh, or rate of force, uh, if you will. But uh, so keep the goal the goal. You know, you got to get between the lines and play your sport and remember that, you know, training is something that's going to feed that and overall provide more longevity into what you're going to do. Um, and yeah, you're not a lifter and no one cares if you can't lift X amount of weight, no one cares. You know, we might talk trash in the weight room just to kind of get a little <laughs> rise out of it, but no one cares. Um, so, you know, for the most part, yeah, use it as a tool, um, as, as means to keep you happy and enjoying the game. And hopefully there's some, um, improvements in performance, um, but don't get obsessive. I mean, there's definitely been guys in, in my career as a practitioner that I'm kicking out of the weight room. Um, and these are successful guys. Um, but even them have come back and have been fairly happy with the reduced load and the not the you know added volume of stress that they're taking on. And so um, sometimes you need a nudge and I needed one of those nudges. And so now I try and be that nudge for some folks, um, but use it as a tool. And then Another thing too is, you know, that I wanted to mention what kind of popped up in my head when you were saying that is, you know, volleyball or baseball that tend to be this rotational type mover, and they are most of the time. Um, I think the game is changing a little bit, in my opinion. I think um, where I was, you know, six, seven years ago, seeing guys that were a lot bigger and more rotational and a lot more lax and creating that whip. I am now seeing more pitchers that are a lot more athletic to field their position. So they are having showing a little bit more stiffness and ability to change direction and be more reactive. So if I just take this mindset of guessing at what type of mover they are, I can actually put someone down the wrong path in terms of programming and whatnot. So there are certain folks that do have the available tools to look at, you know, how people move and, and the biomechanics of how they move and, and, and provide a stimulus that's going to help. But um, I'd be very careful in terms of just saying that because somebody is X position that they should be doing this type of training. I think you got to measure it, you got to manage it, and you got to see ultimately what does that does to their game in terms of, you know, exit velocity, if we want to go that route in baseball, because everyone's talking about that or spin rate or other things that you can measure in the game and make sure that what you're doing to train is feeding that positive outcome and, and not the opposite because your ego got in the way. Yeah. Well, let, let's, that dives in beautifully into, into Sparta. Um, just had the conversation. Cause our, again, this is our fifth year doing Sparta yeah. with yeah. our volleyball kids and 95% of them know exactly what we're doing. Like we, we have a rotation um, in the way of, Hey, these kids scan on these days, these kids can scan these days, you know, we, with, with 150 kids in the weight room at once and, and trying to get through everybody. Um, we have to be very organized with it. Um, but then it's also on like, the, it's not hard. They know what to do. They go up to the computer, they find their name, da, da, da. They, they, they do their jump. They do their balance. We, we get the whole, you know, deal going. Um, and if, if things adjust, which Things change, especially, you know, over, over Christmas break, you know, we had some time off. Yeah. Your, your scan will change. Um, as we start up tournament stuff, which actually starts this weekend, Martin Luther King weekend, um, your scan will change. Like it's just, there, 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 there are things that, things that change. Um, I told, you know, 95% of them already know it, but really for the new kids, Hey guys, as you're, you know, as you change, like you have to adapt, you know, your program. And so we have different load, explode, drive, 
pieces going on, you know, with, within the training that we do, like you need to make sure that you get to the right, like, cause if not, I'm going to drive you into injury and I don't want to, you know, obviously we don't want to do that. So you have yeah. to be cognizant of, of who you are as an athlete. So to say, Hey, baseball player, everybody's rotational. So we're going to do this might not be doing what they need to be done. Can you, can you dive into that and yeah. what, what that means? Because it, it's so easy to be like, Oh, this is our, this is our baseball training program. This is what we do. Volleyball. This is our volleyball training program. This is what we do. No, there's, there's so much more. Cause you're not dealing with sports. You're, you're dealing with individuals. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, you know, so just to answer that question briefly, and then I want to backtrack on a few things you said there, but um, folks that tend to be more rotational um, tend to um, utilize momentum a little bit better than most because it is advantageous to use that momentum in your favor. So um, if somebody is already very rotational, let's say like tends to lump, lack lumbopelvic stability and they are pretty lax in general and can really swing themselves around. That can be, that can be beneficial for a pitcher, let's say. Um, but now if my training stimulus is adding a lot more of that utilization of momentum, um, i.e. something like a broad jump or a, a med ball toss where they are really swinging themselves through the, through the motion, that's actually just adding more to what they already have a lot of, if you will. So if, Hey, we need to do a rotational program because you are a baseball player, they could actually just be, you know, um, kind of relying more on that compensatory pattern they already have. And now you're feeding it with a weight or a load to add more to that. And that's not always beneficial. Um, so something as simple as, not you could still do a med ball toss, but how you perform that med ball toss is going to allow and elicit a different stimulus or result to the body. So it could be something that you use no momentum at all, and it's a quick pop, you know, um, something for the nervous system to recruit muscle quickly, as opposed to um, a longer impulse and, and swinging through motion. So that's just a quick example. Hopefully that helps sum that up of giving somebody a lot of what they already have more of is actually, and what I've seen is probably not going to do a lot of benefit. In fact, it may do the opposite. Um, so be careful there. Another thing that you said, you know, this Christmas break deal, that, that is a, that is a whole, <laughs> someone should write a book just on like the, the holiday season, because it's, I've been through this for several years and and you have as well. And it's like, what, how much rest is good and how much, you know, do we need to get back at it? And I think so many kids don't really understand how to toe that line either. And it's so good in so many ways because, you know, kids are going to eat and they're going to sleep and they're going to rest. And it's going to ultimately allow some adaptations to occur from the training beforehand. Um, and so that's typically why I try and like actually overwork people, not overwork them, but really load them hard before the break, because I know that we're going to get some adaptation. It's going to allow some rest for those things to kind of kick in. Um, so sometimes it's good, but yeah, you have some, you definitely have some athletes that are going to do the far side of the spectrum in terms of they're not doing a damn thing for yeah. weeks. Um, that's a tough one to roll back from when you come up for that first workout, um, uh, it's a, it'll kick you right in the gut. Um, I've, I've done that myself. I know how that goes. So there's really two ways you can go on the break. Um, then you mentioned also like different positions and, and, and even the, uh, the allowed time to rest over a break can change the way you move. 
if you're sitting the whole time and, and the psoas is shortened and everything's tight and you're sitting forward, you better believe that the next day when you go to execute something or produce force quickly, that that's going to have an impact on the overall mobility and the overall system to um, produce force at a certain rate. Um, so um, that could change the way that you move coming back, just that rest. But also what I've seen happen over the years is even guys that have a positional change, let's say going from right field to second base, I've seen that um, really alter the way that they sequence and move based on playing on a different position, dirt versus grass. Um, the movements that they tend to have every day at that new position are going to ultimately form the way they compensate and move in the game. And you're going to see that um, on something like a, a counter movement jump or, or other assessments that you might be doing. So the body is not just changing every three or four weeks after the phase of training that you're doing. We as strength coaches, we have to get away from that mindset. It is literally changing by the minute, by the hour, by every day. And I think the more that we can look at the system as such, um, the better opportunity we have to kind of educate habits and different things that impact the way that the system works. Yeah. So it funny, the different position thing, I want to say, I would say it was Matt Long. It, it was he, Matty. He's one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That made the what center center to second or second to center, one of the two. Yeah. But his his Sparta scan turned like on its head. Um, it it took a little time, but you know that playing on the dirt versus playing in the grass, and yeah, that's that but blows it, my mind. It is crazy. And so he was one of the first examples I saw of that he had some longitudinal data on this. This wasn't like a, a guess on his part. This was like him looking at the data and like just seeing a huge flip-flop in the way that he moved. And he was also dealing with some things and I'm you know, not gonna share like any health issues he was going with, not that he had any, but he kind of had some pain in certain areas that he hadn't had pain before. Yeah. And it really looked, you know, kind of uh, related well to the difference in force output and things he was doing. Um, so we've seen this happen, you know, I've seen it happen with a handful of people over the years. Um, but the good thing for Matty at that time, and he had a long career, um, in professional baseball, but the good thing about him and the resources he had access to is that he was willing to change now his training to kind of, um, target these needs differently that he had. He wasn't like stuck and like, I like doing this. Therefore, I'm going to keep doing this because I said so, yeah. which we've all been there. I've been there. So um, the ability to adapt and change on the fly is what some of the best do. And the willingness to listen to somebody to tell you that you should probably be changing a habit, especially when you've been doing it for years, is, you know, that's a credit to someone like Matt as well. Like he was open ears about it. But some, you know, <laughs> I'm sure myself, if you would have told me that at 21, Nah, Kirk so I'm gonna do my thing. Yeah. Well, and just just seeing the kids that we that that, that come through us, um, our multi-sport athletes seem to be much seem to scan out much more smoother uh, than the kids who have you know dedicated their life to one sport. But then even within the one sport, um, which I, I know is a thing, it happens. I, I I get it. I I love specifically our volleyball club. I think does a fantastic job of getting kids very familiar with a boatload of different positions. Where we had a with a girl who's a sophomore down at Memphis. Her freshman year, they they had two outsides go down. She's a middle, really really good middle. Well, they needed some points. They need somebody that could swing. So they they moved Lexi to the outside. She got the job done, but it was it was 
kind of foreign to her out there. Sure. Um, and I just think how healthy of it is. Like we have a thing with our, our, our younger kids, our middle school kids right now. Literally every kid, no matter how tall, how short you are, is playing every single position. So you got kids who are six foot, um, six foot, 12 and 13 year olds, kind of weird to think about, but like that are, that are playing liberos and, and, and passing the ball, which they're terrible at because it's, you know, it, they're so high and they have to play so low and, but it's so healthy for them. Um, yeah. Long-term, you know, one, they get the experience of actually, you know, playing a different, you know, position and, and having a different stress and, 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 and seeing how that, that player really does have to work hard and which to, you know, which to get the job done versus, you know, where they, where they normally are. But, um, no, I, I, I think it's amazing all the variables that come into, you know, how an athlete will create, transfer, and apply force, and and it, it's ever-evolving, and it's, it's ever-changing. And this is why I love really having updated scans um, on these kids, because I, I hate guessing. I, I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, you yeah. play shortstop, and you rotate, so you're going to get this. Like, eh. I've seen yeah. some very, very high explode, you know, you know shortstops that, that – that, do really well. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 good to have something you know fairly up to the minute, and that's going to be supportive of how the you know the musculoskeletal system is operating at the at the time. And again, that's a that's a it's a privilege, and and it's a great thing to have access to. Not everyone has access to it, um, and so that's where yeah, really watching how people move the more you can if you don't have access to a force plate or or some software to kind of analyze this stuff for you and interpret but really these quick snapshots of seeing how people move and seeing when that changes because when that changes you know you could proactively get out front of a lot of things that could occur or some negative scenarios that could play out um, had you not gotten that snapshot and so um, I really like to see when athletes are are getting more into their own data and, and understanding it. And, and it also helps them understand, you know, how eliminating certain things or habits that they do outside of the facility can actually impact, you know, the way they move and perform. And I think those are light bulbs that like kids need to see and, and athletes of all ages need to see um, and, and be open to feedback and be open to changing. I think that's the ultimately, that's a good path for success. For for people listening who might might we keep referring to Sparta Science and stuff like that. Do, do you want to do a brief little synopsis on what what the heck it is? Yeah, no, it's uh so we are a movement health platform um, that provide a way to manage physical health and performance. So really, you know, there's a suite of assessments that we can do, but ultimately, you know, some some that get used daily um, are a, a simple counter movement jump where we can look at the dynamic outputs um, and biomechanics, essentially, of how people produce force, how well you can create it, um, how well you can change direction and, and apply force and how quick um, and then and then how long it takes you to to do a movement. Um, so how you how well you can create force and the magnitude of it and then how long how well you can apply that force that's going to be different between movers and you know just an, an easy example of that counter movement jump and to see the differences of, of people if you didn't have a plate would be something like somebody that's very twitchy you know for a lack of better term uh that's very up and down very quickly a lot of type 2 fibers very um quick powerful versus um, maybe somebody that hasn't had access to a too much training and they're younger and they have a young, uh, a lesser training age and they swing themselves through a movement with momentum. Those are going to be two different styles of movers in terms of output, um, in terms of 
um, overall force production in terms of the time it takes to do a movement. So ultimately, if we can establish those differences, we can provide a better training stimulus to um, to really kind of feed that that person and feed that training. So um, so yeah, we're, we are a quick you know musculoskeletal snapshot of how folks are moving through a force plate. So the force plate is really the needle that draws the blood, but really we are a huge data lake and a huge database um, of of athletes of all ages where we can identify you know different sports, different positions, different age groups, and so ultimately a, a bunch of different cohorts and. And so you can quickly get feedback if it's your first time, you know, assessing or testing on the force plate, we can give you pretty good feedback of where you're at against, you know, about 3 million scans in the database at this point. So um, we do things from, you know, a counter movement jump to an isolated thigh pull to a balance um, assessment where we're looking at the different stability of each limb uh, or the lower half. And a lot of that is going to be geared towards um, an initial assessment, let's say an incoming physical, and then a lot of it is unfortunately going to be used for the times that the athletes get hurt um, so that we can ultimately see when the stability is back within a given limb and, you know, how it's, you know, where it's at in the rehab process or late stage return to play um, or anything like that. So really trying to pr provide some eject objective information to the athlete or whoever may be using it um, to better prescribe um, training movements, you know, um, et cetera. So that was a long winded way of saying that we had just quick, I, you know, quick snapshots of the musculoskeletal system to help inform training. Yeah. And I, I think the informed training piece is, is, is the magical piece there. Cause now once you know where you are on this and everybody's different, it's funny when we scan kids, they always ask, is that good? I'm like, well, it's where you are. I don't know. It's good, bad, whatever. I've seen worse. I've seen better. Like that, that's where we are. Now the thought is, Hey, now we just have to improve now. Now we just have to get better. And, and these are the steps based off of who you are as an athlete. Like these are the sports that you play. These are the things that you do. Here are the sports that you have done before that have built you into this. Here's genetics. This is what mom and dad are, you know, have done. And this, this is what you're given here. We are now we just, now we get better based off of, you know, based off of that scan. And, you know, if we do things right, things tick up, you're going to get healthier. You know, you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to jump higher, be more explosive, which is going to carry over to, you know, change of direction, sprinting, whatever, you know, whatever the, I'm going to say everything. Um, gosh, darn it. Yeah. I, I can't see a vertical jump increasing and you not getting better somehow in your, in, in your field. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's part I, I, I geek out on. And then the, the, you know, then the how is always fun. Like now, now we get to experiment with, like you were saying, different med ball throws, different variations of med ball throws. I love med ball throws, but not everybody needs to do this big wind up and a pitch type of thing. Um, you know, it's got to be different for for different athletes on on how they you know on how they scan out, and that's been that's been fun. It's been like a cheat code for us because again, I, I no longer guess. You know, and it's I hate guessing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and again, I think most of us in this field are here because. We like to experiment. We like to try new things. We like to see what works. And if not, you know, hopefully we're not experimenting all the time, but there's definitely an experimental part of what we do. And so a lot of it, at least in my experience, has been, okay, I see that I have this deficiency or this limitation in my movements. Um, and I want to add something in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dose it and I'm gonna add it into my training and then I'm gonna reassess. And I think ultimately that that retest is gonna tell me a lot about 
how quickly I can adapt to something, but how that new movement pattern or, or doing something differently is going to impact how I move. So that's where it gets really fun. And I think that's where, you know, the, the exercise selection thing is an interesting topic. And I think it's a very good compass and a good guide to what we do. I think a squat is good for most people to do. Um, but I think as you can probably attest at this point, and it's, it's, it's really about how you do things. Um, you know, um, the pelvic angle, the trunk angle, they all dictate the way that you absorb that force and uh, transfer that force. And so that's really, I think in my mind, um, a way, ways that I've seen a lot of improvements occur is tweaking the angles at which a movement is done um, and then retesting on how that improves, you know, somebody's rate of force, for example, in a squat. Um, if somebody, you know, an example there is if somebody has, you know, limited dorsiflexion or if they have knee pain, um, they tend to hinge any type of squat that you give them because they tend to avoid pain by not flexing. Um, so they'll keep a more vertical shin angle. They will hinge more. It'll become more of a posterior chain type movement. But ultimately, to create force at a quicker rate, um, you, you can't do that. You have to be able to flex, um, so to speak. So how can I put them in these positions that they typically avoid um, to elicit a better adaptation in what they do? And I think that's where it starts getting fun um, to really... Um, and I, and I was this guy. And so some guys hated me initially, but, um, I tell them to rack the bar, you know, after the first rep, like, this is not how we're going to do it today. <laughs> That's not why we're doing this movement. I don't care how much weight is on the bar. I think we need to move it like this. Yeah. Um, and ultimately led to some better buy-in and, and overall better relationships with a lot of guys I worked with because they knew that I cared about the result. Um, but they also realized that it kind of helped them with some either pain or lack of performance that they were dealing with in certain scenarios. So it's been a lot of fun to have some type of driver or data, um, you know, package that we can look at and then see what's working and what's not working. And then ultimately, where can I take things out of what we're doing or add more in? Yeah. I find it funny with our, our low drive athletes that struggle with some posterior chain stuff. Um, we put them in a rear foot elevated split squat. And they, they want to get so vertical on that thing. Their torso is so far up and they're, they're, they're all quads and, and to get them to lean forward. And they're like, I feel so weak. I feel so off balance. You, you're fine. You, you, I mean, rarely do kids fall over here. Let's hold lighter dumbbells or no dumbbells. Um, but it's funny how putting them in that, just, just adjusting that position. Rufa elevated foot squat. Great movement. Fantastic movement. Um, Yes. It's funny how just, just adjusting those, those, those little things can absolutely make a really strong kid look really weak. And, and really, I love everything that you're saying here. Cause I, I think that's my philosophy too. If we find something that you stink at, we probably need to work on that more. Like that's probably, <laughs> like, that's magical right there. Like, Oh my gosh, you, you, you squat a ton, you deadlift a ton and you do this, you do that pull-ups and push and all good. Oh my gosh. But this one, this, what this one thing is extremely weak. Yay. Yay. We, we, we found the magic sauce. Cause that's the hole we need to fill. Cause there's the low hanging fruit and we get that filled now. Oh my gosh. No, you know, sky's the limit type of thing. Oh, it's huge. And, and you know, one example I have of that, um, when I was in major league baseball, we did a, essentially we were, we had a handful of, of athletes that were working with us at our spring training facility. Um, we had a handful of athletes that were doing our programming, but remotely. And then we had a group of guys um, that were just kind of doing, you know, OFP, 
uh, own program. I won't say the middle word, but uh, <laughs> we so we would look at those three different groups and we would look at um, the data changes through an off season. Um, and so what we realized, and you bring up this low drive group, which essentially means this group that doesn't apply force into the ground for as long, the impulse is much shorter. Um, and so they are the type that really struggles with overall mobility and getting in some deeper ranges. So the split squad, as you mentioned, in the big um, kind of trap that a lot of them will fall into that are quad dominant, have a pretty heavy anterior tilt and can work really well through short ranges of motion is they typically load it really heavy and they get way out front and they make it a quad dominant um, vertical torso movement. And um, so we had athletes that were doing the split squat that didn't have us coaching and they were doing it just as you spoke of. Um, and then we had the group that was doing it with us in person where we were coaching it and we were changing those angles as you alluded to, and even with lesser weight. And we saw better improvements in the data and better improvements in their kind of biomechanics um, in that group. So it's, it's, it's not the training program. It is really the angles and the details that, you know, you put into it that can really elicit some good adaptations if you give it some time. And yeah, no one likes to take weight off the bar. No one wants to move through, you know, a deeper range of motion when they have limited mobility. But like, these are just the things that sometimes you have to do to get the improvement you want. And so once we had some of that data, we could, you know, tell a better story to the athletes and I could tell, you know, a lot about somebody by, you know, what weights they were logging in a specific movement. And I'd be like, no, nah, that's probably not, that's probably not the way we wanted it done type thing. So anyways, picking people apart from a distance. I'm pretty good at that. As I was a coordinator in baseball, I was good at doing that. So, um, yeah, so make some humor over sometimes. And hopefully um, there's an acceptance or understanding when you have that conversation that it is just more about the sequencing and less about the overall load or intensity. Yeah. Oh, and Brian, I want to talk about some return to play stuff too, but the, uh, I don't want to say one of my, uh, it shouldn't be a failure, but, but pre-Sparta, before Adam knew anything about Sparta, I, I worked with a group of probably 20 really high level track athletes. Like they were the the local track, uh, track field coach and I were buddies. Um, he was very switched on. I was very switched on. I really knew the strength conditioning piece. He really knew the track piece. Um, I have a lot of experience within the track piece too. So there was a lot of carryover, but I trained the crap out of a group of kids um through through their off season up really into and, and and through their season and just just tracking numbers if you're like this traditional strength conditioning coach looking at numbers like everything went up every kid's squat went up every kid's deadlift went up um you know the the clean work that we did again and then simple stuff push-ups and pull-ups and and whatnot which are are huge for athletes like we've sadly we have really tall athletes like can't do a push-up like Gosh, we need we need to push it. But anyway, numbers on my end went up. It was interesting though then to see the numbers on the track. About two thirds, seven tenths of everybody got better. Like the jumpers jumped farther, the, the sprinters ran faster. But then there was a little chunk. And again, they, it's not like they were slackers. It's not that they didn't work hard, but their numbers in the weight room went up. But their times on the tracks did not go down. And it, it, just looking back now, years for you know whatever, this is 10, 12 years ago, thinking to myself, holy cow, like, it, it makes me think that we were like, we weren't doing the right angles. We didn't hit the right angles. We were just, you know, a lot of those kids were really good at squatting. Like they were naturally gifted in squatting, but in my mind, they should have been doing something else. We should have adjusted the angles on, on, on things. Um, 
again, this is me now not knowing any of this stuff, you know, previously, but man, just, just looking back going, Oh my gosh, what we could have done with Tori Haig because she, she worked her tail off to, to get as strong as she did, but she kept triple jumping the same, you know, basically the same distance, you know, time after time, after time, after time. Um, so even though we're doing this stuff, it, it, it wasn't helping. So to actually give the kids what they need um, versus again, here's our track and field program. This is our sprinter jumper program. This is what we're every, all the sprinters and jumpers are doing this together. Um, how effective it can be, but then how effective it can't be for, for some of the kids who just don't fall into that, you know, that program for whatever reason. Yeah, no, I know. And that's a good point. And, I, and I've been in that boat as well. Um, and you want to always assume that the improvements are going to be there because the efforts there and the programming is is fairly solid all around. Uh, but yes, something to track it, something to manage it um, is always key. And I think you, you made me think of um, some interesting things that we saw on the data sets from uh, we've been working at the NFL Combine for the last several years. And, and so one of the unique things that we got to do is we got to see, you know, some of the the force outputs from a lot of these guys at the combine, and we also got to see the forty times, obviously. So we got to run some analysis there, and so a lot of times we can get obsessive over a certain quality or pick something like rate of force. I see rate of force get talked about quite a bit on wanting to always improve it, um, and there are definitely cases to be made against that at times, at least from an availability and an injury standpoint. But one of the unique things that we saw at the combine and with that data was that we saw once somebody was at a specific T-score, and I think it was somewhere around 67 uh, in that explode variable or that, that relative concentric force variable, there was no more improvements in speed um, in terms of times. So you could be at a 75 T-score on the bell curve, so much ahead of everyone else. And that that really didn't show any improvements in overall speed. So when we can evaluate um, people um, and and do this analysis and, and other you know uh, skilled tests too, or the sprinting or jumping or something in the game, and we can look at it with kind of how they produce force, there's a rate of limiting return on some of these qualities. And so spending more time there is is if you know better is a fool's errand. If you don't know, then you don't know. And I've been I've been the fool more times than not, um, you know, early on in my strength and conditioning career. And so once I got my hands on a little bit more of the data and understood a little bit of that a little bit better, um, I was able to kind of understand, like, you know, a guy that squats 600 making him 610 ain't going to do much. It'll it'll be fun for my ego in the time being, but it actually won't probably help them at their sport or their skill. Um, and so it's so a lot of times you have to take things away that people like. Uh, in order to spend more time and maximize their time when they come see you, as opposed to just hammering the same things just because. Yeah, yeah. I remember Cal Dietz did a thing with his with his shot putters in the way of two guys basically the same size, da da da, and um, they, they both benched whatever it was, four forty, but one guy was like down up fast, hard, you know, quick, and the other guy was a little bit more grindy. And not only did the fast guy out throw the other guy, but he out threw him by like 10 feet. Like it wasn't even close. Um, so again, not, not so much what you do, but, but how you do it. But they, again, they're, they're pretty equivalent on, on, on the max piece. Just one guy was just, for some reason, he got it done quicker um, yeah. than, than the other guy. So it, it's funny. More is not better. Better is not more. Bill Kazmaier, big strong man. When he tried out for the green Bay Packers got absolutely demolished Crushed. <laughs> by like, 
the, the like the, the Packers third string guys because like even the Packers third string guys were you know were, were quicker and more athletic. Bill had all the strength and the biggest hands you've ever seen. But you know, holy cow! Yeah, well, that's yeah, and you know, we've seen a lot like that. And like you know, looking at guys in like the NFL right now, like size and stature and whatnot. And there's no knock on like a guy like Hunter Renfro, but he the guy is so skilled at his position and is quickly yeah. becoming one of the the better route runners in the game and like overall outputs, you know, maybe he's not even on that in that discussion, but just his ability to play the game and the skill, but overall his ability to stay healthy, to do what he needs to do is the most important part. Um, and I think as soon as we kind of look at it like that um, in this field, I think things get put together a little bit better. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's been interesting with the, with the combine stuff and, and kind of seeing that stuff and, and understanding, I guess, more so or less where we can, I, I think, ultimately take things out of programming instead of always wanting to add, add, add. A lot of times there's a lot of success to be had with um, limiting a certain stimulus that people get that oftentimes, uh, you know, feeds kind of an, uh, a negative a negative pattern or um, compensatory, you know, movement strategy. Yeah. Well, Brent, let's, let's end with some... Um some return to play stuff. We, we had a volleyball kid, phenomenal kid, phenomenal setter. She's an eighth grader freshman year this year. So we, we trained her back in whatever last year club season, but then stopped in June because they, they live an hour plus away. Um, she goes into the the school season. She's got a girl from, I think that's committed to Maryland playing ahead of her, but she makes the varsity team. She's the backup setter, which is great. Like to play behind a girl that that's that athletic. It's fantastic. This girl works her tail off. She does all the right things. She gets thrown into a blowout of a game. So whatever they do their warmups, blah, blah, blah. They win the first set. They're winning the second set. It's like 21 to whatever. She's been sitting on the bench for 45 minutes, plum cold at this point, like just, absolutely cold uh, and it's like a coach thinks hey you know let's hey go, go go sub in and so she subs in you know again the last like three points four points of the match boom there's an overpass she because she's an excited freshman trying to prove herself gives everything she has on this on this overpass comes down funny again after sitting for 45 minutes and blows an acl and now it's just like oh son of a gun like you, you can have all the cool Jiggy, Sparta Science, Force Play stuff in the world, you still need to warm up. You still need to, like, some of the common sense stuff, you know, is still still common sense. And no hit on this girl. She's she's phenomenal. Um, it, it just, it, it's a crappy situation. And so now we're, she got surgery, and now we're this terrible path to return to play. Um, but we have we have Sparta, and we're doing some things. What, I know this is a piece that you're, you're passionate about. What... What what cool things does Sparta do, and what are your cool things or cool ideas with with, with Sparta? Because I feel like so much of this return to play is just people, just with oh that's that's eight to twelve weeks. Well, there's a big yeah. difference between eight and twelve. Like <laughs> there's a lot of time there. You know, oh that's that, that's you know six to nine months. Like what? What are we doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, talk talk return to play. Where what what are the new things with return to play that people need to know about? Yeah, no, that's a that's funny, especially if you would have told me, uh, you know, eight to 12 weeks as an athlete until I can come back, I'd be like, I'm doing it in six. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> so um, return to play is interesting. And most of what I've learned, I've learned myself from doing things wrong. Uh, well, that's pretty much most of my career. But um, <laughs> the return to play side is intriguing to me because 
there's this, it's really just the way that you view it and the way that we've been taught to view it, you know, like you're either strength conditioning or you're athletic training and PT, like there's some difference or something like it's, it's all performance, but I think that we kind of, um, we look at them in different, you know, with a different perspective of not as much understanding on one side that we should have and, and feel that it's reciprocated the same way. And it's, it's garbage to look at it that way. And, and I, and so for so long, I was heavily involved on the strength and conditioning side. Well, my last season, um, in major league baseball, I worked on the return to play side. Me and you have discussed this before, but I, we've discussed it because it really changed the way that I looked at performance and the way that I looked at movement. So, um, yeah, my last season in baseball, I was, I was basically, back at our spring training facility and anyone that had gotten hurt in the minor leagues or major leagues that was pretty seriously hurt, it would send them back to us. And by us, I mean myself, kind of a strength and conditioning rehab coach um, and our physical therapists. And so um, a lot of times the discussion between us was different jargon and different language, right? Just from an overall professional development side. So I learned a lot there just from asking stupid questions, but um, what I thought was fun, and at the time, um, his name is Andy Stover. Um, he's still with the Rockies organization. Brilliant guy. He would ask me questions about what I was seeing in the data and what I thought about that. Um, and so we would have, you know, really good discussions about, well, it's not really, you know, what you're doing over there, what I'm doing over in the training facility. It's, we're both having an impact on why this, this data set's improving or not. Um, but Ultimately, I feel like strength and conditioning coaches are like to or don't care that they're less involved in the rehab side. And that I think that that should change. And I think it is changing. Um, but because, I, you know, if you look across baseball and I'll use baseball as, the, as, as an example, you see a lot of jobs coming out now that are rehab strength and conditioning coach. Five plus years ago, that wasn't a position. Um so you're seeing a lot more of it now and there's starting to be, you know, a better understanding of, of needing that and being a little bit less conservative in the approach of you got to, you still got to load guys early on, you know, they might be hurt, but you still got to load them. Um, you know, and there's a lot of things that come from that, you know, benefits from a hormonal standpoint um, and just overall the speed at which they can recover. If you add a little stress and a little bit load where that was, used to be like, no, 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 don't do that. In fact, strength coaches, you don't touch this guy until we're done with him over here. And yeah, he might be jogging, but he can't jump yet because that's a rule. We all know that's how force works. Anyways, okay, I'm, I'm messing around there. I'm, I wish I was lying about that being said to me before, but it, that's not a lie. But in general, there's just a huge fence between the two groups, typically. Now, that's definitely um, not really the same anymore. But let me get back to my point here. The reason that I like the um, the rehab side of it and the data side combined is that you can really have a good understanding. And we started talking about that four to six weeks or eight to 12 weeks. Those protocols are thrown in place based on the average tissue healing time of, of individuals. Um, and the individual that you're working with might not be average. Um, so if you can identify things through data or you have some normative numbers to compare to, okay, that really helps because then we can identify when they're back to where they once were, but that's where I had things messed up is what I was realizing was, you know, 
uh, we talked about that balance assessment earlier. Yeah, we were, if somebody, you know, messed up their lower limb, I was looking at the overall ability to stabilize in that limb versus or compared to their normative numbers of when they were healthy. And then we would start loading them. Okay, we would say, hey, from a static stability standpoint, they're back to where they once were. In fact, they're better than they once were. Therefore, I feel comfortable based on the objective information that I'm seeing and the subjective information that I'm getting back from the athlete on, we can move to the next step. Now we're going to start incorporating some dynamic work. Um, so as we start doing that, now I want to start seeing, okay, once they're capable of jumping or, or producing force or doing something, you know, dynamically, I can start to look at what does that output look like in, you know, in comparison to their normative numbers again previously. And that's a good number or a good piece to look at from an output standpoint. I want to know when they're getting back there. And where I messed up originally, and again, we've ch chatted about this before because I, I, I learned so much during this time and I like to share it, but I would basically just try and get them back to their original numbers mm -hmm. and think that, okay, when Timmy hits this number again, <clears throat> He's back to where he was previously, which was the biggest, um, not the biggest, but quite a, quite a lie looking at it now. There's just not even true because there's so many factors that go into your ability to produce force. And a, one of the biggest factors I saw was the overall aerobic um, capacity um, capabilities. Basically, if somebody is rehabbing, let's say for four weeks on a minimum, and they're not doing some type of stimulus from a conditioning standpoint, um, that aerobic capacity goes away, you know, not as fast as some other qualities, but it does go. Yeah. Um, and so being able to manage it and train folks and kind of push and build that aerobic capacity during the rehab side is important because what I saw was if somebody could hit their number and I would say, yes, they're ready to go back into um, skill work, we'd see them go out there and do a week's worth of volume in terms of practice and loading. And I would test them again and I would see those outputs drop through the floor because they didn't have that, that capability or that capacity to repeat it. Um, they didn't have the conditioning. They didn't have the ability to recover in between bouts that they once did because we had neglected that in the rehab process, which is also too common. Yep. It's too common that the rehab thing is like I go sit and the trainer takes care of me and I leave and I go home. Um, again, this is a little bit dated, in my opinion, um, this perspective, because it has improved so much over the years. But really, that time that we kind of, you know, rebuild the engine, there's got to be a lot of things in there that you're getting that work capacity built up as well. So that when they can, yes, hit those outputs again, they can also recover from um, the load and the, and the practice that goes in between. So that then if I test them again a week later, they can still hit those outputs and they're not plummeting again. Um, so oftentimes, and I've done this and as I've put guys back too early, they're not ready yet because they haven't hit those numbers repeatedly, let's say two or three weeks in a row. That tells me that they were under condition and they weren't quite ready for that. But if I continue to push them um, in their skill work and then reassess and they can consistently hit those outputs, then I feel pretty confident about what I'm doing and that they can, in fact, go back into competition at a high level and have the ability to recover in between bouts or whatever they're doing. And so... That was just a lot of mistakes that I made early on of thinking that someone just needs to get back to X number. Um, and that was just my own limited thinking and not everyone thinks that way, but it was a huge kind of eye opener for me in terms of what else can we be doing during this rehab process to get them back as fast as possible. Yeah. 
so that, that's fantastic because we um oh gosh i don't even remember how long ago it was but we re, um i reached out to you and will talking about um acl return to play stuff and and whatnot we, we had a girl that had come to us um after she had torn acl we hadn't worked with her previously um so we didn't have any data on her we didn't have any 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 start point um but the 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 the, the research that we did and, and whatnot is so all over the place and subjective in the way of like words on paper, a kid should be able to do this, 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 but it's all interpretive and, and different things. And <clears throat> Sparta was so much more specific with like, Hey, here are the magical numbers. If we get this, you know, th these are good, but that's a huge point where it's not just, it's not just hit that number one time. Cause as we discussed a half hour ago, like, these things are always, always changing. And as you become fatigued, um, I got my wrist reconstructed, you know, 11 months ago, my fitness tanked over those three months that I was in a cast. Like it was terrible. So like we're returned to play for, for me with something like that. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, I, I would have been good for the first set or the first match or the first, you know, inning or whatever it is, but then yeah, that, that fatigue piece is going to, you know, come into play. And that that's why, train the body as a whole is, is, is such a big deal. Um, that's, fantastic. yeah, Fuck. I, yeah. I, really, I love that whole thing. Yeah, no, and I, I, yeah. And it was, it was a great learning experience for me, but also what we found from a, from a training aspect when they were hurt is we would still, um, squat and hinge them or squat pattern, hinge pattern, or just basic patterns with, with folks when they were hurt and we would limit the range of motion, but we would actually do it with a load they could do comfortably. And we would do a lot of reps at times and it was it was it was for multiple reasons one yeah we needed to build that you know capacity to to endure that but we also being hurt sucks man I've, I've i've been there all too much in my life and you feel like you're alone and you feel like no one else is doing it with you and you feel like everyone else is playing games and you're on the training table so we found that adding um training that was fun and challenging um, in terms of a rep standpoint and limiting um, rest time in between sets and things like that allowed the athlete to compete with themselves when they were going through the rehab process. And ultimately we saw, you know, time speed up in terms of recovery um, and outputs getting hit earlier because we kind of fed it to them, so to speak, a little bit earlier than we typically would have. And so that's where I really learned to be a lot less conservative. If like, if pain is less than like a three out of 10, like there's chances I'm probably going to like opt to do things when maybe some, someone else would disagree in terms of just the overall intensity of something, because I almost want to force the system to handle something faster. Um, and as long as we're not setting them back, I do want to challenge them. And so again, things that I've, I've just learned from, you know, an outside perspective now working with the organizations that we do, but also when I was, you know, more hands-on with it. Yeah. I, I do, I do think a lot of that is getting better. I know um, one of my buddies, local PT around here that I've, I've not found anybody better, but he, his, <laughs> you go into PT for your, you know, knee, shoulder, whatever you come out sweating. Like that's, that's how hard he, he works you. And it's not just these, you know, 15 year old kids that, that, that threw too much in baseball. It's, it's the 30, 40, 50, 60 year olds that like have this injury or that injury, but that he works them. And w when there's that window of, I mean, I, yeah, not a PT, but like what you said there, you know, three, three, is that feel okay? Yeah, that's not bad. Okay. Keep going. Um, Cause that's the thing that gets you over a hump builds a little bit of work capacity. Like it, it's fantastic. I have a friend who's a chiropractor who has a squat rack in her facility. So it's like, 
I, I think it's slowly getting better with that. You know, hey, you'll fix things and da da da. But then we got to move right. And hey, let's let let's load what we fixed to make sure that this you know the change actually like holds you know over a long period of time. Um, and it is fun to see strength coaches too because I you know and I think we've done this for a while. I think Sparta's help been a huge help with that. Um, not brought us down, but has able to help us with with that rehab piece. Um, even if it's something as simple as you know a kid having some shoulder issues, um, you know after a long weekend tournament or something like that, which is you know kind of to be expected. Um, it's not just, well, suck it up, go bench press like that. <laughs> yeah. Might not be the best, you know, idea for that kid in that situation, but I do. Um, yeah. I, I love, I love that whole take on it. Cause if that, I, I, I do not like how segmented this, this stuff is like you do, you do this and you do this and, do and every, people are different. Athletes are different. And just to treat them all the same, just doesn't seem to do them justice. Well, well totally. And so a lot of, a lot of what I'm saying too, is more like comedy to me in terms of like, you know, I kind of joke about ATs versus strength coaches and I joke about it because there used to be a lot more of a, of a line between the two and there, there isn't as much now. There's a lot more swapping ideas and information. But back when I was working, you know, with the Rockies, we, we would joke quite a bit about like, you know, Scotty Garrett is one of my all-time favorite athletic trainers in the game. He's been in the big leagues with the Rockies for a number of years. He's, he's brilliant at what he does. He's really good. But he used to make jokes. He'd come out like the first day of spring training. So what is it this year, boys, to the strength staff? What is it this year, boy? Uh, three sets of eight or three sets of 10 this year? How are we, are we going to mix it up? He would, he would make jokes like that. And I thought it was hilarious because it's just like, yeah, we, you know, we would take stabs at each other's, you know, background and knowledge. And, and so he would always just joke. So a lot of my, uh, you know, at least humor in my mind comes from that background. And I, I really think it is improving. It is. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more collaboration between the, you know, the specific knowledge groups and, and uh, educational backgrounds. So I, I'm mostly kidding. So I hope people understand that. <laughs> yeah. well. Buck, what did we miss? What, what question do you wish I would have asked you? Oh, um, gosh. I don't know if I have an answer to that. Um, Should you move to Northern Illinois next? No, the answer is <laughs> stay where you're at. Uh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna opt not to move, <laughs> but um, I would like to come see you. Um, oh. Just because I, when I see pictures of what you guys are doing, I always see improvements and changes and new things and new rooms that I haven't seen yet. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't mind that. Um, so I think we can organize that. Um, any, but... any, any time. I, I think we need to have a, um, resurrection of the health and performance summit. Um, San Francisco, lame, no Palo Alto, whatever. Let's go to Rockford, Illinois, bring in, all, yeah. bring in people. We got plenty of space, plenty of parking. Yeah. Honestly, those we are so, right there. I honestly miss those, man. Those were um, those were a lot of fun for us. Um, we get a lot, just a a really well-rounded group of people in the building. That's what was fun for me. Um, and some and some fun people around, like Kelly Starrett and some others that are making jokes and and all that stuff. So um, I would like to bring that back. Um, you know, we just got to figure out where. Yeah, if you want to bring it to the Midwest. You're more than welcome. Down, man. Uh, you know, Bring like it. six months of the year, I'm all, I'm all good for that. There we go. Yes. Cruise out there, we'll figure it out. We'll pick um, a good month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but other than that, yeah, there's not, you know, there's a lot of things going on in terms of 
um, you know, recently just the, the, the things that we've added and and on our software and some fun things that we're doing. So one thing I would just like to say is that um, we're always evolving and we're always improving and we're always taking feedback from what we're getting from, you know, folks that we work with, you included on what can we be adding, what can we be showing uh, to make practitioners' lives easier. So um, I always like the feedback and I enjoy getting with different groups of people and hearing their thoughts as well. So the summit has been a good place for that. But uh, yeah, other than that, man, I'm, I'm already ready for the summer again. I know you are too. Yeah, yeah. But I do appreciate how Sparta does evolve with stuff. I I, I, I love some old school ideas and methodologies and, and, and there are things that have, you know, stand, withstand the test of time and things are good. Um, however, like as you guys being a data company, <laughs> as new data comes in and whatnot, you get, you guys evolve and, and change and, and recommendations that you guys would have made four or five years ago are, are a little bit different than what, what they are right now. And, and, and I think that's, that's fantastic. I think that's like, just to <clears throat> put your flag in the ground and be stubborn and be like, no, this is the way, because this is how, what we figured out. And and not adapt is, is really doing a disservice um, to people. And you guys constantly, you know, flex and adapt and the, and, and the core of everything that you guys believe in is, is still obviously there and, and doing really, really well. Um, and it just, I don't know. I, I love when, cause I, I feel like we do the same thing as, as a company. Like if you were to walk in and watch me coach kids in 2022 versus what I did in 2015, it's different. It's different. Yeah. I still tell hilariously funny jokes. Um, you know, <laughs> but there, there are other things that are just, just different within the structure and the program and, and, and stuff like that. But so that's, Oh, that, that's what I love about you guys and, and, you know, partnering with you guys and doing what you do. So well, thank you for it. supporting oh. us with this whole thing. No, oh, man, I appreciate it. And, and it's funny. Yeah. You say that, you know, you brought up Cressy earlier being on the podcast. He, he would always say something like if you, if you looked at a program you, you wrote five years ago, it should make you cringe a little bit. Um, <laughs> and I, I actually found one of my old books here recently as I was moving stuff around and it was cringe. Oh gosh, it was bad. I almost, yeah, just threw in the fire. Um, but I like to look at it now just to to see where I was at, what I was doing, what I was programming, all that stuff. It's fun. But yeah, so there should always be some port, some kind of, you know, improvement or, you know, evolving at some aspect. And that, that's one of the cool things that we've, we've done at Sparta is we have an opportunity where we've actually really done a lot more on the R&D side in recent years. And so that's been fun. You know, we're doing some stuff. Um, and then in the military, you know, we're looking at our data, you know, in comparison with the aura ring and mm -hmm. what does that look like? And so yeah. some fun things to try and incorporate, you know, what a lot of folks are using because a lot of people are starting to have their own data sets, you know, whether that be a watch or a ring or whatever. And, and what does that look like um, with what we're collecting as well? And where can we provide more value there? So yeah, we're always evolving. We're always trying to, to add in things that are useful. So it's, you know, if I look back at my time when I first was using, you know, this data as a practitioner back in 2013 and, and where it is now, it's 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 a good feeling um, for me to be involved with it and 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 continue to evolve, you know, as well. And there's things that I thought, you know, several years ago that we would recommend for a certain type of deficiency that's definitely changed um, too. And so uh, it's been a lot of fun and it's been a lot of fun for me to meet guys like you and, and see what you do with your program. And, and, you know, I think you and I are a lot alike in terms of our methodology and what we believe and what we like to do. But I think always being, you know, be involved in the feedback loop of like, well, that didn't really work that well. So maybe we should be trying this or whatever. So um, it's been a lot of fun, man. And this brought me in touch with guys like you. And so I'm very thankful. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. What was your readiness score today? 
<laughs> I didn't. I, I actually don't have it on today. But, oh. uh, yeah. No. You know what? And that's one of those things too. I had to unplug from it from a while because, and I was actually talking to one of my coworkers about this the other day. He's like, I had to take it off because my sleep was just showing me to be so bad every night. He's like, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, so there's definitely a, the psychological aspect involved with some of it. Um, but hey, I'm I'm here to uh, I'm here to to take you know to take the feedback and judgment from yeah. a ring all day too. So uh, but yeah, I don't have it on today. There we go. Did you train today? Uh, I did train this morning. Out of boy. Yeah, yeah, I got go. one in. Yeah. If I don't do it before, you know, a certain time, like, no. we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly where I'm at. There, there are yeah. days I wake up a little tired. Oh, I'll just, I'll work out at the gym later. Never happens. No, no shot. Happens. No, no shot. <laughs> yeah. Funny how that is. Yeah. Brian, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. This yeah. is, yeah, this is fantastic. Let's do it in person. Let's do it in person now. You should do it in person. I love Dallas. Yeah. Dallas yeah. sounds fantastic. Come on through, man. There we go. If, if people want to find out more about Sparta Science, where do they go? You can go to SpartaScience.com. Um, we also have a handle on Twitter um, as well, um, hash, or slash Sparta Science. So that's typically where we put a lot of our information out um, for our practitioners um, and otherwise. Um, and uh, that's where you can find us. There we go. Awesome. Brian, thank yeah. you so much. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you. Awesome. Listeners, thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for listening to another episode of Oak Performance Radio. Don't forget to check us out on the social at Oak Performance and online at www.oakstrength.com backslash Oak Performance. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.